Hi, and welcome to the Alka Huh podcast, the podcast that says, was that a prediction or just a coincidence? I'm EJ. I'm Beth. Welcome back, folks. Ah, there it is. <laughs> the sweet sound of success. What's new, Beth? Well, it's my turn to start tonight. It is your turn to start tonight. And after last week when you told me that beautiful story... I kind of decided I wanted to tell you a story. Oh boy, I love stories. At least to start out my topic. I hope it's the monster at the end of this book. It's not. Aww. Um, It's actually an Ethiopian legend. Sweet. Um, There was a goat herder named Kaldi. Hey, that reminded me of the bushwhackers, or the sheep herders. They're, in the 80s, they were some pro wrestlers. Oh, like Triple H? Got it in there again. Okay. <laughs> sorry, but not sorry. Well, the whole world has Kaldi to thank for something that the vast majority of the world loves. Kaldi found coffee. Ah, Kaldi. Um, rock. Kaldi observed his goats full of energy and moving all around after eating the red fruit off the coffee shrub. Brave Kaldi decided he should try some of these berries himself, and lo and behold, he had the same reaction as his goats. Sweet. He started baying and stuff? (laughs) Well, a monk in the area witnessed Kaldi and his behavior after eating these red berries, so he gathered some of them and took them with him to his monastery to share with his fellow monks. He's not going to try them by himself. He's like, I'm all jacked up. But he is. Well, the monks waited till the evening to eat them. Oh, brilliant. And they found they were unable to sleep that night and had all kinds of energy. Um, thanks to the caffeinated history of coffee on PBS.org, I learned all kinds of fascinating coffee history. Coffee didn't actually start out as the morning go-to drink. Unprocessed, the unprocessed form of it, coffee looks like fruit. And then when it's ripe, it turns red, and the coffee bean can be found inside of this red berry. Makes sense. Um, When it was first discovered, it was not uncommon to mix the fruit with animal fat and thus turn it into a type of protein-rich snack bar. Yeah. It wasn't actually until the 13th century that people started roasting coffee beans. And what we call coffee today actually originated in Arabia. The Muslim community in the 13th century preferred the drink for its stimulant powers, which they found helpful for their law and prayer services. Makes sense, but what about going potty? You hold it. Oh, I can't. Um, The Arabs were able to put a corner on the coffee crop market by um, parching and boiling the coffee beans, thus making them infertile when they would trade them. Nice. That way they... Just totally, totally... Yes. Coffee blocked everybody. um, Coffee tradition actually says that there was not a single coffee plant outside of Arabia or Africa until the 1600s. I have the sneaking suspicion that someone wasn't very ethical. They weren't. Our good friend Baba Budan left Mecca with fertile beans that he had hidden strapped across his belly under his shirt. Sneaky Baba. And thanks to Baba's beans, Europe was able to become competitive in the bean trade. 
The Dutch in 1616 founded the first European-owned coffee estate in Sri Lanka. I figured it'd be somewhere where they were colonists. And the Caribbean was where the French decided to start growing their own coffee. Jamaican McCrazy. <laughs> the Spanish chose Central America, while the Portuguese were choosing to grow their coffee in Brazil. Well, you want to stay in that equatorial region. And it really wasn't long after that that coffee houses started springing up in Italy and a short time later in France. <laughs> wee wee. <laughs> coffee makes you go wee wee. True story. Um, coffee came to the New World in the form of plants in the early 18th century. However, it took the Boston Tea Party of 1773 when it became a patriotic duty to switch from tea drinking to coffee drinking. We drink coffee here in the States. Tea's for sissies. <laughs> probably how it went. I don't, I don't know. Well, the Civil War just fueled America's love of coffee as soldiers began relying on the caffeine to keep them going. Well, it also acts as an appetite suppressant a little bit. So, you know, when you're out there and don't have much in the way of rations or you got like hardtack or something else, I mean, yeah. I guess. Stimulant in there. I'm still glad I live in the day and age I do because I can't do black coffee. That is because you are a weakling. Someday when I grow up, maybe. Um, it only took until the 1800s for coffee to become a worldwide commodity. It was in 1864 that John and Charles Arbuckle, brothers who decided to buy a Jabez Burns self-emptying coffee bean roaster. And with this, the brothers began selling pre-roasted coffee in paper bags by the pound. Cowboys were their target audience. Oh, yeah. Can't picture a cowboy campfire without a pot of coffee hanging over it. And their coffee, according to the movies and books I've read, was black coffee that could stand on its own. That's right. James Folger actually followed the brothers' example and began selling coffee to the California gold mines. And these entrepreneurs just blazed the trail for other big-name coffee producers like Maxwell House and Hills Brothers. Hill Brothers, not Hills, Hill Brothers. But, you know, pretty impressive that back in the 1800s and these coffee companies are pretty much still... Well, once you have a great product, you can actually do it. Actually, you said companies, these old companies, and that was actually something I was considering researching today. Just a total side note because the topic's too big, but I looked at the world's oldest companies. There are some from the 700s still in action. There's like a construction company in Japan. And the oldest pub in Ireland was in like the 900s. And it's still open. That's awesome. We have yes. to go there someday. Oh, that'd be sweet. It was actually in the 1960s that an awareness for specialty coffee started to grow. And thanks to that first Starbucks in Seattle, it came in in to existence in 1971. Now I can get my white girl pumpkin spice. Now, you went all the way back to our first episode with that, I think. I, I think I I think I might have. Way to circle back around. <laughs> now it's pretty common to find locally roasted fair trade beans all over. Coffee has become quite the artistic trade. There's different blends, there's different all kinds of things. But did you know there are only two main species of coffee beans in the world? Really? 
coffee Arabic, and coffee Robusta. I was unaware that there were only two main species. I'll bet there's a lot of subspecies and hybrids. And I know that there's like... I watched... It must have been a Dirty Jobs episode where they were growing it in Hawaii in the volcanic ash. Which is pretty flippin' cool because that stuff's, you know... I bet that was some good coffee. I don't know. I didn't ever try it. It was on TV. Um, second only to oil, coffee is the most valuable legally traded commodity in the world. And it's actually estimated that 2.25 billion cups of coffee are drank worldwide daily. I'm doing my part. <laughs> actually, I didn't have any coffee today. None. That's kind of impressive, actually. You drink coffee more than I do. I do. But I like my frou-frou coffee. Yeah. You like to doctor it up with all sorts of flavors. and I do. Sugars and creamers and... Artificial flavors. Yeah, but you talked about the cowboys. Could you picture this? Hey, Tex, you can give me some of that mocha syrup and some Equate? Well, you know, thinking along that lines, the coffee industry has branched out so much, not even just in coffee, but with all the accessories, you know? How many different types of ways are there to brew coffee? How many different flavored coffee creamers are there? Well, even, you know, from having just a coffee cup to having all these different styles of coffee cups, including disposable with plastic lids or the little the little plastic stirry sticks. Uh-huh. Thermoses. Thermoses. I'm not sure. Uh, thermoses are an interesting invention all around, I think. I still don't understand how you fully wash them well. You use a bottle brush. Yeah, but even the big thermoses, you can't reach Wait. down there all the way. You should do a better job, I guess. I don't know. Well, maybe that's why we don't own our thermos. Well, I still have a thermos. I just never use it because it gets nasty inside. If you just kept coffee in it, I think it'd be okay. But once you start putting soup in it or chocolate milk or something. You know, other additives to coffee that could go along other lines of podcasts we've talked about are alcohol. True story. Like your Kahlua? Yeah. Rum chata, I hear, is pretty good in coffee, too. Well, we did it with hot cocoa, so why not? Yeah, that sounds good. Almost almost like I'm going to pee until my kidneys turn inside out, but well, whatever. I don't recommend you drink any more coffee tonight because you won't be able to sleep. Maybe a Earl Grey tea and that's about it. You and the monks could stay up together for no. having your coffee in the evening. No, that's okay. I don't really do coffee in the evening. Although I did not look into it, now that I'm thinking about it, I wish... I- I would have to find out about decaffeinated coffee. Well, that I do know a little about, but not enough to talk about for accuracy's sake. Because caffeine is actually an alkaloid. Here we go. Here we go. No, nope, I'm going to stop. But they, they affect us in all sorts of funny ways. So do you think these goats, after they... <clears throat> ate all these coffee berries back in the day that when they milked their goats that there were traces of caffeine? I don't see why there wouldn't be. Because, you know, when you're breastfeeding, you're not supposed to drink a lot of caffeine because it transfers over to the baby. Yeah, but I imagine that their physiology is slightly different than ours. It'd be a corner on the goat milk market. High caffeine goat milk. (laughs) (laughs) I just had a dumb, dumb thought. I was like, oh, goat cola. That's so stupid. (laughs) 
I bet uh, you somewhere in the world there is goat cola after talking about our soda fountain and the different you're probably right strange flavors that are out there huh. but i doubt it has anything to do with a goat right. <laughs> or it has everything to do with a goat Ugh. i don't want to know how about you talk about your topic <laughs> okay <clears throat> excuse me Ugh. goat cola I want to tell you about a historic curiosity. The Mignonette was a 52-foot cruiser yacht. And in 1883, John Henry Want, an Australian politician and yachtsman, his dad actually like started the first yacht club in Australia, he went to... Oh, a, a yacht club. Yes, yes. Well, no, it wouldn't be like this. Yeah, a yacht club. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's terrible. But he went to... Cows England or Coes. And, I like cows. Well, it could be. <laughs> but he purchased that vessel, the Mignonette. Or Mignonette. <clears throat> Hope that's right. But it's such a small ship, it wasn't really suited to be on the open ocean. But the only real way to get it to Australia was to sail it there. So it took him some time to find somebody willing to transport or take the ship there. He didn't actually he, go with it? No. No. <laughs> no. He did not. <laughs> uh, he finally did secure a crew of four to sail it to Sydney for him. They were Captain Tom Dudley. Wait, they were sailing from where again? Uh, England. England, okay. Yes. Um, they were uh, Edward, or Edwin Stevens, Edmund Brooks, and the 17-year-old cabin boy Richard Parker. And they set sail on May 19th, 1884. And things were pretty uneventful until July 5th when the order to heave to was given by the captain. And what heave to is, is like you set the sail and the rudder or the helm, you know, the wheel, rather to slow down the ship. And that way you wouldn't have to actively be on deck to steer. It was so they could, you know, go to sleep. Basically, think of it like a cruise a, control. Well, more like an autopilot. You're kind of cutting across the wind. The wind is blowing you one way, but you're kind of turning into it, so it slows you way down. Well, <clears throat> as soon as that maneuver was completed, a big wave hit the vessel and washed away the lee bulkward. And a bulkward is like not a railing, it's like a wall that goes from the weather deck up it's like a a shoulder armpit high solid wall okay that goes from the actual body of the ship the weather deck is the part that's exposed it's the main deck of the ship swab the deck basically yes well it it knocked this wall it wiped it right off the ship and that I bet was that woke some people up well they weren't sleeping yet he just gave the order and there was only four of them and that was the end of it and Captain Dudley uh, gave the orders to abandon ship. So the lifeboat was a 13-foot POS, like very shoddily built, and it got a hole in it as soon as they deployed it. Lifeboats have such a shitty history. They do. <laughs> they do. And the yacht sank within five minutes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And Good thing it wasn't the Titanic. All, all that they brought with them was their navigational equipment and two tins of turnips. They didn't have mm, any water. Yummy. They didn't have anything else. 
The captain, though, he improvised a sea anchor to keep the lifeboat heading into the waves. A sea anchor is something that basically you throw off of the back of the boat and it slows you down. It creates drag in the water. So he put that on the back of the boat to keep the bow pointed right into the waves. You following me? Yep. I love your hand gestures. They're the best hand gestures. If only our listeners Bigly, could see them. The best. Super best. I have the best hand gestures ever. They're great hand gestures. Their first night, they had to fight off a shark with the oars. First night. And they were like 1,600 miles northwest of the Cape of Good Hope, which would be the southern tip of Africa. Uh-huh. So they were in the Atlantic Ocean, but I don't think they were too far off of the coast, really. They were... They were like 700 miles from the nearest, like, habit, habitable places or places that would have them, but I'm not sure how far they were from Only actual 700 land, miles. But I'm not sure how far they were from actual land. Um, on July 7th, Dudley gave out the first of the turnips. And they were uh, to share them amongst them. There were five turnips in the tin, and the four men were to share them for two days. So, on the 9th of July, oh, they managed to catch a sea turtle. They drug it on board and... Ate it raw? Well, they couldn't exactly cook it with a fire. Remember, it's been four days and they've had a tin of turnips to share. And each man got about three pounds of meat. Each man, not each man. And they intended to drink its blood, but the blood got contaminated by seawater and at that time, they were pretty resolutely avoiding seawater because that's like a death sentence. Yeah, that makes you crazy. Well, it doesn't make you crazy, but it does shut down your kidneys, which would make anybody crazy. And the turtle and the second tin of turnips lasted until the 15th or the 17th of July, depending on whose account. How'd they keep their reading. turtle from rotting? I don't know. They probably just ate it. And then hey, when you're starving, you're not going to care that much. But on like uh, July 13th, since they still didn't have any fresh water, they did begin to drink their own urine. And you can do that like once. You can drink your pee one time before the contaminants become no, so much that it will start to harm you. Yeah, no, I, I don't couldn't. know how many times they did that. Whether you could or couldn't is beside the point. We've watched your Survivor shows. No, I couldn't. I wouldn't drink your pee either. I wouldn't drink my pee if I had a choice. Not like I do it for fun. I'm not that old guy on dodgeball. Ah, it's sterile and I like the taste. Ugh. Yeah, no. Approximately July 20th, uh, Parker became ill from drinking seawater. And Stevens had also experimented with it a little bit. And he was kind of under the weather too. And the talk of drawing lots... Probably started around July 16th or 17th. For who they were going to eat? Yep. Ew. And on the 23rd or 24th, again, by account, uh, Parker was in a coma. He was They're going to eat him. Dudley again brought up drawing lots. Remember, he was the captain. Pointing out that there was no point in all of them dying. And him and Stevens were family men, you know. They had wives and children. Following morning... Dudley said a prayer while Stevens held Parker's legs and he cut the lad's jugular with his penknife. The reasoning behind killing him instead of letting him die of natural causes was that his blood would go bad and they couldn't drink it. Even though drinking blood's not a really great idea. Because and then they turned into vampires. 
no, 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 no. That's the backwards one. You gotta be bit by the vampire and they drink your blood. And then the three of them did partake in survival cannibalism. And on July 29th, they caught sight of a sail which belonged to the German ship Montezuma and were rescued. So, still... Did they share right away that they ate their crew five or six days. Um, They told the truth in their reports. The reason they told the truth was they believed that they were protected by a custom of the sea. Now, a custom of the sea is like um, the whaling ship Essex when they crashed or the ship went down they didn't crash um they had to resort to survival cannibalism okay they drew lots and that's what happened okay or another custom of the sea is like uh, the captain is the last one to get off the ship or he goes down with the ship yes and if you don't do that you get into trouble depends on which country you're in but generally speaking yeah um well the men were tried and convicted for murder on the high seas. For eating their crewmate. Dudley and Stevens were sentenced to death with the recommendation for mercy because public opinion was behind them and actually Parker's brother showed up in court and shook their hands and told him he understood because he was an avid sailor and had been in a situation similar. And they ended up with six months in prison. Much better than death. Maybe. Well, now, are you ready to have your mind blown? Yeah. Okay, in 1838, 45 years, quit trying to look at my notes, Elizabeth, <laughs> before the Mignonette ah, was purchased by John Henry Watt, the novel The Narrative of Arthur Godin Pym of Nantucket was published. This is the only novel ever published by author Edgar Allan Poe. In the story, the crew of the Grampus end up on a lifeboat and, get this, they manage to catch a sea turtle and eat it. And they are also without water. And in the story, the Grampus castaways also draw lots to see who will survive. Crazy, right? Ah. The guy who draws the shortest lot, Richard Parker. No way. Way. So Edgar Allan Poe wrote a story, and it was just super, super coincidental. He wrote it 45 years before this voyage took place. Before, uh... That's creepy. One actually purchased the ship. Well, what's creepy is all Poe's other stories are actually horror. Yeah, I read quite a bit of Edgar Allan Poe back in high school. Nevermore. Always less. I always liked Annabelle Lee. You would, creeper. <laughs> I think, I think that uh, that's probably right up your alley with your cranberries and your, you know. I was awesome. Sure. <laughs> you married me. It couldn't have been that bad. You were out of that phase at that point, <laughs> and I was out of my goober phase too. So we're good. Well, that was. What do you think of that? The whole Edgar Allan Poe thing at the end made it creepy. Isn't that strange? Now, is it fate or is it coincidence? Did he predict it? I bet they were wishing they had some coffee. <laughs> I'll bet you're right, but they can't make it with seawater. And just eating the beans would be like, uh, coffee's a diuretic, so they'd have to pee more. 
I wouldn't be good. Sheesh. Don't you sheesh me. But that's all I have for this evening. Do you have anything else? I don't. (coughs) All right. Well, this was kind of a short episode, but we hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get in touch with us. We have a Facebook and a Twitter. And also, we are on, uh, if you want to get in touch with us by email, it's alcohunt at gmail.com. Please give us some feedback. Like us, share us, love us. Tell us about some strange coincidences that you've experienced. We'd love to hear from you. And on that note, I'm Beth. And I'm EJ. See you next time.